Give back. Let's unite the world for good. We are lions. You can be too. Visit weserve.org. To protect his family from disaster, Steve used his camera phone. Done. By taking pictures of his important documents, Steve can always have them stored online. Learn more simple disaster prep tips at ready.gov. A message from FEMA and the Ad Council. And good morning and welcome to Saturday in the studio. At least I'm in the studio. I'm Tom King, joined today by Merle Kelch, Kelch and Associates. He is on location today. Good morning, Merle. Well, good morning, Tom. Good morning, everybody. We are heading into another week of wild gyrations in the market, or at least coming off another week of wild gyrations in the market. Uh, what was your yeah, take? Yeah. What was your? T- uh, there was a rally, I guess, late yesterday that took away some of the losses, but it was still a down week. Uh, what, what was your take from what was happening? Well, it actually, uh, you know, kind of broke a string of five days yesterday. So the market jumped up 658 points. And um, in that, the, the market has been down because we saw inflation not go down. And so, like we told our clients this past week, you know, the inflation that, that's up um, was on 9.1%. It was announced this past week on the annualized basis. It actually went up a little bit. Um, but, you know, the measures that the Fed took this past week, I'm sorry, last week, increasing interest rates 7, uh, 0.75, as well as seeing fuel prices coming down at the pump, are not in the numbers yet because it just simply happened too late for it to be calculated. So so though we went up, um, uh, the measures we put to try to curb a little bit, or at least put that uh, together, um, just haven't happened at this point in time. So at this point, hold on, folks. Hold on. I think we start getting better as we come up into July. Yeah, was that? I mean, that inflation report was that uh, basically kind of misleading because it is uh, using outdated information. Well, it's not misleading. It's just that when you you do something from a, a federal level to help curb inflation, such as increasing interest rates, and I hope it, it's not an instant fix. It takes a little bit of time for that to settle into the economy, and so though they just changed that, even you know a little bit in June. Um, it, we, we haven't seen it happen, go through the financial markets and, and that kind of stuff at this point in time. So we look at the number, the number is real, um, but it does not have the things that we've recently done, the recent drop of oil prices coming down below $100 a barrel. We see that at a pump, certainly. It just hasn't had a chance to, to uh, be measured at this point in time and have an effect. Now, the Fed, at least members of the Fed, are still talking about increasing interest rates again. And some have uh, even speculated as a full point. Um, do you think that's going to happen? And if indeed that does happen, what does that do to the whole situation? Well, again, it just becomes a, a, another step to try to continue to keep curbing it. Um, you know, we're, we're really not going to have a, a big effect until the interest rates from the Fed standpoint starts getting up to that 375 to 4% range. That's the range that the, uh, many economists are saying is we're going to start having a nice, nice slowdown. That sounds terrible saying a nice slowdown, doesn't it? Um, but that's what we start having. Well, I'm, really getting, I'm really getting some feedback from you up there. Yeah, me too. Hmm. All right, we'll try to figure that out. Go ahead. So, so it's that, that 375 to, to 40, um, uh, 4.04%. Um, that's where we start really having a, a hard effect on the economy. So the stuff that's happening right now is slowing us down, um, uh, but I don't think we're at a, at a point where it's going to drop us into a recession at any point. All right, then let's talk about, and the phone lines are open, folks, if you have a question for Merle regarding your portfolio in these uh, in these dynamic days, 715-845-2155 is the number to call. What do you tell your clients then as far as changing the way they invest, uh, uh, adjusting their portfolio, 
Um, what do you do at this point in time, especially if you're someone who is nearing retirement age? Yeah, yeah. You know, um, we're still investing. I mean, there's no doubt about that. We had some people just recently that um, just retired. And, uh, in fact, uh, we're still in process of putting their portfolio together as far as getting a purchase and bought. But what we did in this one, folks, and I'll just share this with an idea. And, again, I have to make sure I preface this and say, you know, uh, this may not be for you. Um, contact your financial professional ahead of time and talking about this. But um, here's how we how we uh, approach this, Tom, is we took the portfolio. They're retiring now regardless. Um, and uh, some of the money we're investing, we don't have a, a, a need for for seven or ten years. So we're investing that just like we would any other day. You know, So we're putting that aside and, and investing in the marketplace. And so and in this one, we split the portfolio up into uh, you know low, medium, and, and higher from a risk standpoint. And, of course, the, the higher risk is the stuff we're looking at for years down the road. And, and what we did in here, then, is the, for the stuff that's more going to be the, the now money um, or that kind of thing, um, is we backed it up using some annuities that we had some guaranteed income stream to it. But yet, um, they're uh, annuities that were variable so that we could participate in the marketplace because this is cash going into the marketplace when the marketplace is down 20%. So that would seem to us that this would be a pretty good idea. So this is money that's going to be turned on in about two years or three years from an income stream. So... And using that annuity, we get the guarantees like we would, for example, like a pension kind of thing. Um, but at the same time, we're going to participate participate in the market's rise over the course of the next few years um, as we start coming out of this, uh, you know, quagmire that we're in right now and resetting the economy. So we did an, another third of it that we used traditional types of stuff, you know, traditional mutual funds and a, and a stock um, and, and no bonds yet at this point in time, but we used a, a bond alternative. And then we used a traditional stock portfolio. Uh, we built a stock portfolio out for the client. Um, and so our, our numbers and measures on that um, look to be really good as far as you know measuring past performance on this portfolio. Looking forward to it, it looks like it's going to uh, really work out nicely for us. So um, we're still retiring. We're doing things a little bit differently, that we're putting stuff that has guarantees in case things keep screwing up for the next several years. Um, but at the same time, um, we're still moving forward. The economy is not going to fall apart as regards to, um, you know, we're not going to have any you know, growth. We just don't see that. Um, recessions happen. Um, recessions come and go. Uh, but the U.S. capitalism, our machine, continues to keep pushing forward. You've talked about annuities many times on the program and uh, the pluses and minuses and the different kinds of annuities. I guess maybe you can revisit that again since you mentioned them. Um, tell us about the different kinds of annuities and the ones you like and the ones you don't like. Boy, Tom, this is a whole show in itself. Well, I'll give you about but, uh, 10, but, 15 minutes. How about that? Perfect. I'll take us right to a break on it magically. Um, you know, annuities that are out there and then folks, annuities have been uh, the best of times, the worst of times, depending upon which person you talk to, you either love them or hate them. Um, and an annuity is just nothing more than a contract between you and an insurance company, and, and that annuity is being used to insure something one way or another. So, and we have to understand that. You know, it's, it's, it's a contract with an insurance company, um, and as a result of that, is the insurance company making some money? You bet they are. And so with it, we're, we're taking, uh, uh, adding some expense to our money uh, to have the annuity, but now we have to look at it and say, what are we going to use it for? So if we're just going to buy an annuity, just some say, well, we're going to put it in there and, and we're not going to use any of the features and to do nothing, we're just going to let it sit there, well, then maybe the annuity is not the best place for us. But if we're going to use some of the things that 
annuities used for us to guarantee something, um, well, then, then it might be the right place. And so with annuities, you have the ability to guarantee multiple things. So there's some annuities you can guarantee um, that uh, uh, it's going to have a big death benefit. So, Tom, you put your $100,000 in, you die, uh, your lovely bride gets, uh, you know, uh, the hundred thousand plus a, a kicker on top of, for lack of a better term, of an extra you know forty thousand dollars on top of an extra forty percent or twice. So you can buy it so it has that sort of stuff. In. So you get the the growth plus you get the extra later on. And the reason for that is to help cover the cost of taxes if it's an IRA account inside of the annuity. There are some annuities that you know have it so that they'll guarantee that you'll have um, uh, no loss of the principal if you hold it for a certain period of time. You have no loss of the principal if something happens and goes down. Um, others have it so that you have a guarantee of income. Even if the principal goes to zero, you still have that guarantee of income. And so there's different types of programs that do different types of things. So they can really solve a lot of problems. You know, Tom, you know, our parents had pensions. You know, and our yeah. grandparents certainly had pensions. And they don't, don't exist anymore. And we can use annuities that are going to act like a pension, but with one difference. You know, when your grandpa and your dad had their pension, when they died, that was it. It's gone. Well, maybe mom got it for a little bit yet, but when they died, it was gone. There's nothing left over anymore. So if you use annuities like the pensions, using some of your guaranteed uh, minimum withdrawal benefits, that's the generic term that's out there, folks, um, you have the ability to use it as a um, uh, pension, and if there's any money left over at the end of the day, uh, that money goes off to the kids You know, when, when things are done. And so um, different than the old ways, but you got to use them for something. And, and uh, so from that, it becomes a real handy from a financial standpoint, the financial world, investment world, financial professionals, you know, whatever term we want to use these days, I mean, it becomes a real handy arrow in a quiver to help solve problems. And so I look at them in this way, Tom, and that's, uh, that's uh, uh, let's say you add husband and wife, you add your Social Security together, <coughs> and uh, you got 2500 a month, uh, but your bills are 3500 bucks a month. Um, I like using that extra thousand bucks, and this is one of the things that I try to do. That extra thousand dollars between the Social Security and what you need for your living expenses, I like using an annuity for that dollar month. And that is, regardless of what happens in the marketplace, I know that uh, the money's going to the client. They're eating; their you know, their lifestyle is going to be fine. So that way, if we have bounces up and down in the marketplace like we have right now, we can let that go because we know we don't have to worry about the dollar amounts. Um, uh, making sure that the bills are paid. I, I've always um, used that type of mentality, and in 30 years in doing this, it's worked out. I've never had a client have to move in and eat at my house. <laughs> what What's a fair fee to pay for something like that? Do you pay about percentage? Do you pay a flat fee? How does that work? Well, um, annuities are, are like mutual funds. You, the expenses come out, but you never see them. Um, uh, with exception of some things, they, they actually show you a quarterly fee that's coming out of the annuities, but we'll wait on that. Um, you know, usually you see the stuff out, it comes out as, as a fee and it comes out internally on the inside and you never see that a fee came out for most instances. Um, but a lot of the, like the guaranteed minimum withdrawal benefits now are actually transparent and they're showing the fee coming out. And it's usually around, and I'm going to give it a range because it depends upon the company, Tom. Mm-hmm. Uh, but usually the fees in there are like 0.75 to um, 1.25 range. Um, uh, another one, I'm thinking of a couple of other companies. Let's give it an average, say, 1.25 to 1.5 range. So that's a fee that we're paying to make sure that that money is guaranteed. So your $1,000 a month, for example, 
Um, you put the money in, you click the switch and say, okay, I want to make sure it's guaranteed. We still get whatever the market rates of returns are going to be. So we're going to get those market rates of returns. Um, so the market goes up, great. Our years like this year, certainly uh, our clients with variable annuities are in the same place. Um, their markets are down, but that guarantee, the income is guaranteed. So if all that money goes away because the world is so terrible and investments went down, um, their income is still guaranteed. And I always try to make it so it's guaranteed for both husband and wife, um, and that income is guaranteed. And so they'll always be able to, to stay alive and live and pay the bills and, and that type of stuff, even if all the investments goof up. So so that's how I like to use them. Um, I like to use annuities for those purposes. Um, sometimes we use annuities, and, and there's some annuities that are out there that's just ridiculously low cost on the inside. And um, you can use annuities from that standpoint. And again, folks, um, we're not touting annuities here. We're going back to a question Tom asked and say, we hear about annuities. Let's examine a couple of different types and how to use. And so that's where we're going right now, folks. So so there are some annuities that have you know ridiculous cheap expenses on the inside, which um, uh, is great, but they don't have any bells and whistles to them. You can't buy any of the guarantees. But what companies have done is they've realized that annuities work really, really well for tax deferral, which is how they were originally designed, by the way. Um, they're designed for tax deferral. All the extra stuff in here, like the guarantees, is all add-ons, Tom, if we look at the history of annuities. That's mm -hmm. all add-ons that's happened probably over the last 25, 30 years. So the tax deferral works really well if you're a person who um, is, keeps getting hit with capital gains taxes really bad. So um, let's say you have a whole bunch of investments and you keep getting hit with capital gains and it keeps shoving your income over where you're no longer able to pick up um, the affordable health care. Um, so you have the ability to take a big chunk of your portfolio and basically sell it off and put it inside of an annuity and still get the same types of returns. But now it makes your taxes essentially drop off the, you know, the planet Earth because you've deferred them all until some point in time in the future. So it's another tool that can be used with annuities. Um, so, and, and we've done some of this, you know, where a person, their health insurance cost was ridiculous, the taxes were crazy, and so we simply shifted their portfolio. Rates of return essentially the same, either up or down what we were doing before, uh, but now they have, they have the ability to control their taxes what they need to. So it's another use you can use them. You know, there's a whole other class of, of annuities that's out there. And Why don't you uh, hold that good? thought, and we'll jump yeah. into that after our break here. We'll take a break. We'll come okay. back with more. If you have a question yeah. for Merle, give us a call. We'll be right back on WSAU. If you came across a child struggling with hunger, how would you recognize them? By their clothes? Their age? The way they speak? Would you recognize a 13-year-old boy who gets into fights at school? Not because he's a boy, but because he's hungry. Or a two-year-old girl who cries all night? Not because she's sick, but because she went to bed without enough to eat. Or maybe a nine-year-old boy who hopes a friend invites him to the sleepover. Not for fun, just so he can have dinner. Or a 15-year-old girl who goes for walks over lunch so her friends won't know she doesn't have anything to eat. I am the one in seven American children who struggle with hunger. Kids who pass by every day but never knew were hungry. I am child hunger in America. Hunger can be hard to recognize. Learn why at IamHungerInAmerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America, 200 food banks strong. I had an important job, and it wasn't just a job. It was keeping my brothers and sisters safe. And coming back, it felt like kind of thrown away. If it hadn't been for Wounded Warrior Project, I honestly don't know if I would be here. It was like I got my family back again. 
we all felt the connection, like that brother and sisterhood. See how Wounded Warrior Project empowers women veterans like Donna by visiting woundedwarriorproject.org slash empowerwomenvets. I'm Ryan Seacrest. When you call 911 and ask for help, first responders show up now. Let's show up for the people who show up for us every day and every night. Go to firstrcf.org to learn more. Hey, wouldn't it be great if life came with a remote control? You know, you could hit pause when you needed to, or hit rewind, like that time you knocked down that wasp's nest. Uh-oh. Or that time you forgot to roll up your windows in the car wash. Fantastic. Yeah, a remote control would have come in handy then. Well, life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome. But pre-diabetes does. With early diagnosis and a few healthy changes like managing your weight, getting active, stopping smoking, and eating healthier, you can stop pre-diabetes before it leads to type 2 diabetes. It's easy to learn your risk. Take the one-minute test today at doihaveprediabetes.org. Life doesn't come with a remote control. So you're on your own with the wasps. You have the power to take control of pre-diabetes. Visit doihaveprediabetes.org today. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. And we're back. I'm Tom King in the studio. Merle Kelch joining us on location, 715-845-2155, the number to call. We were talking about annuities before the break, and you said there were another class of annuities you wanted to touch on a little bit. So um, I'm talking about another uh, thing, another class of annuities. And, folks, we've just been talking about variable annuities. Um, and them, and uh, and so I'm going to say another class of annuities, but it's not really another class, but it's a way to look at it. So annuities are covered under Section 101A of the Internal Revenue Code, um, and so so all annuities then fall underneath that. That have to be done by an insurance company. Um, it's an actuarial type of a product, et cetera, et cetera, yada yada. But then they go through and you have the variable, which the variable side follows the stock market. It goes up and down with the stock market. Make no mistake about that. Um, then you have the fixed side, which is on the other part of it. And so the fixed annuity is is a uh, a product that uh, just is based upon the interest rate that is set by the insurance company. Okay, so fixed annuities, and I'm going to add to them immediate annuities because they use that same interest rate type of a thing. They really haven't been around and popular a lot over the course of the last number of years because interest rates have just been so low. So with interest rates so low, Tom, um, why would you or anybody else say, well, I'm going to buy a fixed annuity that's going to give me a you know, 3% guarantee for 10 years? Well, that doesn't sound very appealing to me. Um, of course, right now it sounds pretty nice. But, <laughs> but, uh, um, but you know, see, so look at that. So, but, but now when the interest rate's going up, they're going to start to become something that's going to make sense again. Um, and so you can do some really neat things with immediate annuities when interest rates are high enough to you know to work. But and we'll save that for another conversation or another day. So fixed annuities are starting to come back, and so it's simple. You put the money into the insurance company. They pay you an interest rate. Um, you can either get the interest rate paid to you or the interest goes into the pot, and at the end of the term, now whatever the term that is, you get a new interest rate. So some companies that have it where they'll pay that interest rate for four years or five years. Some of them say you got to keep the money with us for five years, but the, guarantee, the interest rate is guaranteed only for two, and then we reset. So it depends upon the company, but... When interest rates are high, they're a real nice, easy, uh, safe place in which to uh, to invest. Not guaranteed, remember, because insurance companies are not the FDIC. Um, but, I mean, it, it really can be pretty good. So then we have a kind of a blend of both sides called the equity index annuity. 
and the industry's going to them, and, and they, they drive me absolutely crazy because they're difficult to explain to people, difficult for people to understand. And in my opinion, I don't think I've ever met a person who's fully understand how they work. And, and so essentially they have the fixed component where they have a guarantee. For example, an equity index doing say, well, guarantee you'll have a 3% rate of return. Uh, but we're also going to tie the extra rate of return to, say, the S&P 500 or small cap or large cap or different types of places they put it into here. Now, mind, mind you, folks, this is not a security product. You don't have to have a securities license for doing this. So the insurance agent then can say, we're going to put you into the equity index. You're going to participate when the stock market goes up. You're going to do it. Um, you're going to participate in the stock market, too. Well, well the unfortunate part is where they're feeling uh, the consumer is, is they're not telling you you're not getting the whole up of the stock market so the stock market goes up uh, 7% or 10% for the year. You're not getting the whole 10%. But many instances, you're getting 60% of this. You're only getting 6%. That's it. So you're getting 6% on your money. Um, but then to cover all those costs, you have to keep the contract there. I've seen as long as 17 years the money has to stay with the company. And, and you look at it, what are well, the Well, that doesn't odds? sound good at all. Who, I well, mean, who would yeah, want to tie you, up their money, their money that way? Precisely. And, and so the insurance company has to keep the money there for a long time so they, can, uh, so they can continue to keep collecting a small amount of fee from the investment stuff to be able to pay for it. And so, you know, don't get me wrong. There's some years when the stock market is great, like in 21, people made some money. But again, you didn't get the whole, you know, 20% the stock markets were up. You got a piece of it and just a small amount. And then they have some caps. Um, some companies have caps where, okay, you're going to get 6% of the 20% that went up, or 60% of that, which is great. You get 12%. Oh, yeah, but, but, but we hold it, but we cap it at 9. You can't go to any more than 9. So you get the guarantee on the down part, which sounds great. And you're supposed to get a lot of excess on the upside mark, market when you have great years, which is also sounds great, but then it's capped in many companies, not all. Um, and so we look at the average of the S&P 500 from 1920, I'm sorry, 1926 on, and that average is right around 11%. And so if we take the 60% of the 11%, for example, you're only averaging about 6%. And folks, for having the lack of liquidity for 12, 17, 15 years out in these products, it just doesn't make any sense to me. And so we don't do them in our office um, at all. Um, just because I, I think we can just do better everywhere else than having our money locked up that long. It drives me crazy uh, to have money locked up that long because we know, um, as we all are experiencing right now, things change from an economic standpoint every several years. Uh, and, and, uh, and so as a result of that, you have to have the ability to have some uh, fluidity in your portfolio. So in your opinion, how long should a person tie up their money for? Is there, is there a round number that you like more than another? Well, my opinion is zero. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't want my money tied up anyplace, nor my clients. And, and no, the fact of reality is that you have to. I mean, sometimes you have to. But but if I have my ability, I don't want to have it tied up at all. You know, we want to have the ability to adjust as needed. Um, we look at portfolios, Tom, and we put them together for a client. We're we're buying them for three, five, seven, ten years out. That's how we look at that. It's an old Warren Buffett thing. Warren Buffett says, if I'm not going to buy a stock and own it 10 years, I don't want to buy it at all. Um, and, and here's a guy that doesn't buy green bananas anymore, you know. Yeah. Or, you know, it's, but um, So we, you have to look at it in that mentality, but sometimes things change. You have to have the ability to be uh, fluid and dynamic and be able to adjust. You, you don't want to have a portfolio where you're saying, well, geez, these, these, this investment's terrible, it's awful, 
But if I take the money out, it's going to cost me 8 7 10% to move the money out. Well, yeah. we don't want to do that. Right. But sometimes we have to have some of those products, and this is the annuity industry really on this part, is you buy into the investment and you have to keep the, uh, the principal there but at least instead of variable annuity, you've got, you know, depending upon the company, 20, 30, 50, 60 investment choices. So you can still make that adjustment as needed along the way for your investments. Um, uh, but uh, at the same time, uh, you know, if we don't have to, we don't want to. Um, um, just a better way to look at it. Right. keep stuff fluid. All right. We're going to take a break for some news. We'll come back with more. If you have a question for Merle, give us a call. We'll be right back on WSAU. Know that feeling? With support from DAV, more veterans can shape their lives into a thing of beauty. My victory is bringing beauty into the world. Michael Naranjo, may your victories inspire many more. Support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. Whether you have been blind all your life, are just starting to lose vision, or have a blind child or family member. Connecting with other blind and low vision people can help you live the life you want. The National Federation of the Blind is a membership organization of blind and low vision people, and you can connect with the chapter right in your own community. To learn more, visit us at blind.org. That's blind.org. The National Federation of the Blind. Live the life you want. And we are back. I'm Tom King in the studio. Merle Kelch joining us on location today. Phone lines are open, 715-845-2155 if you have a question for Merle. We're into earnings season now, and every day we get uh, the earnings for the last quarter for various companies. Are there any bellwether companies that you pay attention to more than others when it comes to earnings and how that translates into whether or not you want to make that part of your portfolio? Yeah, interestingly, Tom, I don't look at – uh, you know, an individual company or individual sector per se. Um, when I'm looking at it, um, you know, for example, I want to see things that I would expect to do well. For example, right now, I'd expect banking to start doing well, and that's happening. And why would banking do well, Bill? Because Tom, when you go to take a loan out for your widget machine right now, the interest rates that the bank is going to charge you is going to be a lot higher um, than it was uh, a year ago or two years ago. <clears throat> but yet, their cost of borrowing or their cost of getting money, which is our savings and checking accounts are still very, very low, so that spread is getting wider. And so I'm going to look at it and say, okay, is, is that making sense? Um, I look at the profitability of, of manufacturing. I think is that holding up? Because if manufacturing starts falling off the cliff, um, we look and say, well, the economy starting to slow down. So I'd like to look at it a little bit more that way and say, how are we doing as profitability and loss in different sections? And then one of the biggest ones for me is when everything is all said and done, I like looking at the um, S&P 500 as far as uh, there'll be numbers that pop out that say what percentage of companies you know, meet um, or exceeded, um, which ones you know beat the profit, which ones are making profit. And I like looking at that. So I really like looking at things from a macro, macro standpoint to see how we are and what direction we're going. Um, so as we're investing with clients over the course of the years, are we buying for expansion or expecting expansion in the, in the country in the next few years or contraction? So we kind of look at it that way, almost like uh, – um, the uh, um, boy, I want to see the National Association of Purchasing Managers, but that's not it anymore. It's the ISM numbers. I'm almost like they're looking at it. Same thing. What's happening into the six months of a year in advance, and try to make some idea of where we want to go with that. We've heard various uh, information about what is causing this spike in inflation, and whether it's you know energy prices, whether it's the war in Ukraine, 
food situation, supply chain issues around the world. There was an interesting article on CNBC this morning where one economist talks about something that really hasn't been mentioned too much. He says that obviously you have this uh, large millennial generation and, and uh, I forgot the number now. It's, you know, tens of millions of, of people in that generation uh, who have put, have put off purchasing um, houses, cars, whatever, in the last few years and are now back in the market. They're making good wages. Wages are up and they have money to spend. And it's a too many. And his argument is too many people with too much money chasing too few goods adds to this inflation problem that we're seeing sort of like back in the uh, 70s when the baby boom generation came of age and started spending money replacing, you know, our our parents and grandparents generation. What do you what do you think about that? And is I mean, really, that's not a whole lot you can do about that if you've got a population spike with a lot of money yeah. to spend. You know, I, I got turned on to that article yesterday and, uh, you know, and, and I didn't have a chance to dig into it deeply as far as where he's coming into it. But you, you kind of hit it on the head, in my opinion, Tom, at least. You know, going out from the outside without digging into it. So let me make sure I preface that. <clears throat> you know, there's a lot of people coming back, just like the baby boomers did. And we had a lot of cash and that stuff, stuff to buy. And I think that certainly could be part of it. I mean, it certainly has an inflationary effect. But <clears throat> inflation, just from its core root, is too much cash chasing too few goods. And and we look at it, and we're having the same issue in America as they're having inside of Europe right now in every other part of the world that gave out a bunch of cash and stimulus um, to people during the pandemic. So the government gave all this money out to people, you know, for various reasons and purposes, uh, for assistance, and, 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 you know, rightfully so. We, we didn't know what was going to go on. I, I get well, it But that, that money's all gone. That money's been spent a long time yeah, ago, it's, right? It's, it's still out there, but it's still inside of the system, you know. So, Tom, if you gave me, you know, for my product and service, you gave me $1,000 that came from that system, now I have the $1,000. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Then, if I spend that thousand dollars and give it to somebody else, well, now it creates that ultimate. It's called the economic, um, <clears throat> excuse me, economic, well, money multiplier effect. There we go, economic money multiplier effect. So, that thousand dollars gets spent to the system multiple times before it finally starts getting weeded out into something else. Otherwise, it keeps going around through people, so it keeps having that that effect, and even from an inflationary dollar. <clears throat> excuse me. Um, it's you got the money, you spent it, and then it went to somebody else, they spent it, went to somebody else, they spent it. So it has that economic multiplier effect that keeps going through. Well, if it's an inflationary dollar, it keeps causing that inflationary dollar. So the only way to stop it is you stop giving those dollars out, or you find ways that people have to burn up that money someplace. And, and, and so the whole reason they want to slow down the economy is it forces us to burn up that cash, essentially. That's what Paul Vuker did back you know, uh, back in the early 80s when he killed the economy with the high interest rates. This it burns up all that excess cash and inflation that's out there. So, you know, I think you don't that's see what that, started there. You don't see that happening again. I mean, we've been hearing talk I, about I the, so, the soft so. landing, right? I mean, yeah, I just don't think so. And and who knows about the soft landing if we're going to be able to do it. Um, I hope so. We'll, we'll know over the course of the next couple of months as we start seeing the lower fuel prices coming down and the interest rates starting to take effect, we'll have a better idea whether that's the case. Um, uh, whether we have a soft landing. Um, I don't think we see, again, this is Merle's opinion. I just don't see a, a Paul Booker thing where you got interest rates got to go up to 14 15%. I just don't see any reason to do that. Um, I tell you what, it'd be a whole heck of a lot better if we were producing our own oil and gas 
um, that would make it a whole heck of a lot better because we'd be able to control that part of the inflation. So going back to your question, the inflation then, uh, government money spent, so that was part of it. Um, <clears throat> we had all this money. We were all uh, closed up at home, um, and now we wanted to have some goods and services. We had some extra money. We wanted to go buy some stuff. Uh, there weren't enough people at work. Uh, there was a shortage of supply, uh, supply chain, so we had fewer goods than uh, than normal. We had all this extra cash. That part, that was part of it. Uh, we weren't driving during the COVID. Now we're driving. Um, oil companies have slowed down their, their drilling and, and bringing bring oil out because it didn't make sense to keep doing that because we weren't driving. Why have all this excess supply? Now they had to turn stuff on, so it made a lower supply, drove up the fuel prices. So all of that has an effect. It all has an effect inside of inflation. And piece by piece, you have to get all the stuff turned back on and starting to go um, in a fluid type of a marketplace again to be able to drop that inflation down. So um, oil and gas starting to see the prices come down as of late. Um, I, I think that's a, a great, and, and hopefully uh, that'll work. But I've said it before, and I think uh, one of the major things that's going to help with inflation is high fuel prices. Now, don't get me wrong, Tom, this is going to sound terrible, because I think high fuel prices are actually helping us. I don't like it when I go to the pump as much as the next person when I have to fill up. But the, 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 the high fuel prices are soaking up some cash. And so soaking up some of that cash just in an inflationary marketplace. Because if I've got to put, you know, $200 in my tank to fill up my vehicle, that's $200 I'm not buying inside of widgets that um, the company doesn't have the supply chain to get all the widgets right. Um, so it's going into fuel prices, so that's going to help slow down inflation as it goes through. The last so time, we, the, the last time yeah. we had uh, gas prices this high, it forced a, a major change in the United States, in the way we drive, I mean, it, it, it forced people to look at smaller cars. It forced people to look yeah. at energy efficient cars. Do you see that sea change happening again here, uh, weaning ourselves from the big pickup trucks and the uh, the off-road vehicles that never get driven off-road uh, and going back to a more, uh, e- I don't even want to say ecological, because that, that'll be a, that'll be a nice, uh, a nice extra bonus, but just the driving cars that don't cost, as you said, $200 to fill up. Yeah, you know, I think some of that stuff has been happening naturally. Um, you know, when I look at the EPA, first of all, I, I like what the EPA does. I'm not sure if I necessarily like how they do it, but when, when they've uh, done, and again, this is Merle's opinions, but when they've set, you know, mileage limits on vehicles, um, I thought that was really a good idea because it forced our manufacturers to start saying, well, let's not just burn everything and make it so it works better. You know, for example, in my house, um, folks, I have a big diesel truck for pulling a camper. And it gets, uh, other than the, you know, the little bitty car that we have, um, it gets the best mileage out of all of my vehicles is a big diesel. Um, and uh, it doesn't smell like diesel because it's got all the def and all that sort of stuff in it. Um, but it gets the best mileage, you know, so it's interesting about that. So, so I think it's forced us then to make those vehicles a bit better and, and that kind of stuff. You know, I like the uh, uh, the idea of the scooters. Remember last time we had this, we had a scooter dealer in every corner. Now we yeah. don't see any scooters around hardly at all anymore, except the little ones that are always seem to be in a way and doing 25 miles an hour <laughs> in a 35. Um, so so I think it, it does that. I think, think the other thing is we're going to see more push towards um, other than gas vehicles or something of this nature. Um uh, you know, electric vehicles or um, electric for a certain period. A, a friend of mine just bought a car that, and I, I can't think of the name of uh, the, the class they're calling them now, but 
Um, he hops in, he drives for 35 miles, and the car never starts up or runs. There was a there was a story in the news this week uh, that um, one of the uh, I think it's GM. GM is teaming with the Flying J Pilot gas station chain. And yep. I, we don't have a lot of those around here, but I think farther, far, farther yeah. south, yeah, they're going to have charging stations, uh, yeah. uh, quick quick charging stations where you can uh, charge up your your electric vehicle in half an hour uh, yeah. while you're having lunch or whatever. Sounds like mm-hmm. that sounds like a winning plan to me. You know, Tom, we, we you and I had actually talked about this before, and that is, you know, the government says we're going to put all these charging stations. I said, you know, just government stay out of it. Let let the let the markets take care of it. Um, and there's there's an example of that. So GM says we want electric cars. We need to be able to charge them. Uh, let's put up charging stations at places that people already go to when they're on the road. So we'll put the charging stations in. I'm sure there's going to be a fee for the charge. Um, but uh, you have lunch, you charge up your car, you're ready to go on the, on the next thing. That makes us that electric cars have more viability. Um, this uh, this friend of mine has a car, and, and there's other companies that have the same thing too. I think Hyundai's got one that has one, Mercedes has one. But um, your, your first 50 miles or 35 miles, depending upon the company, that's the range I've seen, um, your, car, your engine doesn't start up. After that, um, your engine starts up and you have a normal car engine like you know we have in our vehicles now. Um, and that runs, and so while you're driving to run, you're running on that engine, and that a small piece of that is starting to charge up your batteries once again, too. Um, but I, I, I like that idea. So if you're just doing your you know, running around inside of the you know, the city inside of Wassa, um, you're not burning any gas at all. Um, and uh, when you get home, it plugs into the wall, not into a separate uh, station. Um, he just plugs into the wall at home, a normal uh, you know wall outlet. And I, I think that's a pretty good, uh, pretty good idea. So, you know, we get the fuel when we need it, uh, but if we're just doing short stuff, we uh, just run a battery and the car doesn't even start. All right, 715-845-2155. We need to take one more break. We'll come back with more. If you have a question for Merle, give us a call. We'll be right back on WSAU. Now, this day, here's Chris Conley. Use better seeds and you'll grow better crops. And this man was all about better seeds on this day, July 16th. Question, what will you find on all over-the-counter or OTC medicine packages to help you choose the right drug and use it safely? The answer, the drug facts label. This label lists the medicines active in... ADHD. It's the child who can't pay attention or sit still in school, right? The answer, maybe yes. Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, or ADHD, can be complicated and it can last a lifetime. Living with a condition can sometimes be a challenge. It may take years to accept a formal diagnosis, and it's not always easy to find the right treatment plan. Did you know that up to 75% of children and adolescents with ADHD have at least one additional mental health condition that also requires a comprehensive approach to treatment? ADHD guidelines were recently updated to reflect the need to screen for associated disorders. Be sure to talk with your child's doctor about proper screening and visit moretoadhd.com for additional information. That's moretoadhd.com. This message has been brought to you in partnership with Ada, ACO, and Chad. And we're back. I'm Tom King in the studio. Merle Kelch joining us on location today. You know, this this economy is going through something that I can't remember ever happening in my lifetime. And it's it's just so strange to me that there are all of these businesses that have to close certain days of the week because they don't have enough employees. 
There are more jobs available than there are people to work, um, whether it's restaurants, whether it's uh, whatever it is. I mean, there, there are places that, I mean, they could be open. They could be making money. They're popular places, and yet they have to close two and three days a week because they don't have enough employees. Yeah. How, how do we get past this if we have a population situation where we don't have enough workers for the jobs to fill? And what does that mean to the economy if we can't get all of these businesses running at 100%? You know, I've, I've, I've said it many times before, and uh, the solution is we have immigrants. But we got to have legal ones. I mean, that's the part that's so difficult right now. Uh, we have to have legal legal immigrants to do the jobs. I mean, we were, you know, our families, well, at least part of my family, we were all immigrants at one point in time. And we've allowed people in for years and allowed people to come in. Of course, we stopped for a long time because of uh, the COVID year. But um, but we need to have legal immigrants coming in to, you know, do the jobs and do the work and go to school and, and become now there, part of our society. There are programs out there for that, right? I mean, they're still operational, these programs where you can get a work visa to come in from another country to work a particular job, whether it's uh, dairy farming or whatever whatever it may be. Sure. Yeah. Um, and we, we need look to at make that bigger. A lot of these farms. Make, we, we look at a lot of these farms, a lot of places, and we're, we're seeing exactly that happening. But, yeah, um, you know, there's, there's got to be a place, there's got to be a pool, there's got to be people to do that. The unfortunate part is right now we have so many people that are coming in illegally and businesses are not supposed to use them without causing tax problems, getting themselves in trouble. And, and so, you know, that's where you go. Well, normally in a situation where you don't have enough workers, uh, you pay more, pay, pay higher wages, and uh, yeah. people will then come and work for you. Uh, there was a report from Wisconsin Manufacturers and Commerce earlier this week talking about how in Wisconsin, most employers are looking at increasing wages by 4% or even more. Is that going to be enough to do it? I mean, I, I, there, there's this idea that there's this huge pool of people out there that could work but aren't for whatever particular reason. I'm not sure that's true. I, I think there's just not enough people for all the jobs that are out there. I think there's always people that are like that, but I don't know if it's enough to make a bigger yeah. make that much of a difference. Yeah. You know, I, there always becomes a balance, and, and perhaps we start to see it happening at some point in time here near. Uh, so you can increase interest, or interest rates, increase wages to bring some people in. Um, but at some point in time, you, you can't do it anymore because it's not profitable to do that. And And so... You look at it and say, well, if a person wants twenty dollars an hour, great. Um, I can't afford to be the owner of the business at twenty dollars an hour, so I'm just going to close the business. And so, unfortunately, we're seeing that happening with small businesses. And, and the sad part about that, and difficult part about it, is small business uh, compromise. I think some eighty to ninety percent of jobs are small businesses, and I think sometimes people are getting themselves priced out because they want more what? wages, want more wages, uh, and, and the, the businesses, well, we can't afford it, and so they just close up. Well, I, I, but. You raise prices at that point, and obviously, um, you know, I would much rather pay a little more at a mom-and-pop restaurant or small business because they're paying their employees more yeah. than I would in the situation that we've talked about in the past with uh, oil companies making record profits, and yet, uh, yeah. you know, the, 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 the price of, of, of gas that's being charged. So uh, it, it's it's a tough situation, but... If you're a business, and I understand raising prices might chase some customers away, but I think customers would rather have you open and charging a little more than not being open at all. Well, it's a balance. I mean, that's businesses have to address that all the time. You know, I look at, and again, folks, uh, if you listen to a while, you know that I do a lot of volunteer work at the Wall Street Eagles Club. 
And uh, down there, where, you know, we make our own pizzas down there. It's a 16-inch pizza. And when we started making them, they cost us $4 in product. And we sold them for, I think, 13 or 14 bucks. what we sold them for. So we went through, and, and it's just, and we're going through a bunch of them, don't get me wrong. But we're looking through and saying, well, geez, the numbers just don't seem to be adding up. And so we went through and repriced them, and now the price is up $11 to make them. And we're still charging the same price. And so I think that if we take the prices back up to where we're supposed to be, um, I think people say, well, geez, I'm not going to pay that for a, a pizza. Um, yeah. Well, we'll see. Um, and so we're going through our whole price list at the Eagles Club right now, and the prices are going to go up. And some people aren't going to like it, but, boy, the, the prices of everything have gone up insane. Um, cooking oil, for example, a buddy of mine just put this out there. Um, cooking oil has doubled twice in the last uh, 18 months. So, you know, doubled and then doubled again. And a lot of that cooking oil comes from Ukraine. And uh, with the – Yeah, the, with, I mean – yeah. Everything's got a cost to it, and so we have to look at it and say, well, geez, you have to try to keep going and try to keep your prices and keep increasing them, but something's got to stop and moderate at some point. Now, that said, we are seeing commodity prices coming down, which again leads to you know my conversation earlier here, guys, where we were talking about inflation and saying that the stuff they just did you know, three weeks ago or two weeks ago isn't going to have any effect inside of the, the, the inflation numbers yet. But we're seeing you know wood, lumber, um, um, uh, other prices, other commodities are starting to drop down. Steel, when those prices start coming down, it makes it so that we have the ability to have our widget machines cost less. All right. Well, we're out of we're out of time for today. It's uh, flown by. So, if folks want to get a hold of you on Monday. How can they do that? Well, folks, give us a call on Monday. Stop in, kick the tires on Third Avenue and Bridge Street in Wausau. Come on in, say hello and hi. You can give us a call locally seven one five eight four nine thirty six hundred, or toll free outside of the Wausau area at eight six six three five five fifty one hundred. Or find us online at kelchandassociates.com. All right. Talk to you again down the road. All right, my friend. Merle Kelch, Kelch and Associates here in Wausau. We've got the Polka shows coming up after the news at 9 o'clock. We also have Brewer Baseball tonight. The Brewers will try to bounce back from a brutal loss last night in San Francisco.